guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I am not really here. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, what? I'm actually right. I'm actually You are in Rensport. When you hear this message, I will be No, you'll be like in the Rockies or something. No, I'll probably be in Idaho, is my guess. So everybody'll hear this when? Wednesday? Yep. So, oh, no, Thursday. Thursday, Thursday oh, morning. Thursday morning, I will be in Rensport. I'll be waking up in beautiful Monterey. Hopefully, unless oh. you had some catastrophic What the hell's wrong with accident. you? Don't you have any sort Along of like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you, man? God. No. Talk about jinxing. We're some. I know. No. You, you, you know what you're not going to be doing, though, along what, the way? Because I know um, you've plotted your route. To kind of go back roads, right? Oh, some, yeah. I, I dr- we're driving some freeway because I, okay. the California is so long, yeah, that I've got to I've got to put some sort of like freeway in there to be able to make it to California. So, so you, so it's not out you of control. will take advantage of the United States interstate highway freeway system. I will through the potato fields of Idaho. Are you going to stop and get some like local farmed fresh French fries? I thought you were going to say potatoes. Have you ever eaten raw potatoes? Yeah, I used, not good. I used to do that out of the garden all the time. That's weird. You just grab it, wash it off the hose, and just cut it open and just eat the raw potato right I out of the ground. I think it was potatoes that originally in feudal Europe were initially used as pig feed, and then like the poor people found that they were nutritious, and then somehow along the way, one of the royalty had them, and he's like, wait a minute, these are so good, no one else is allowed to have them now. Well, it wasn't the Irish, because I hear all they eat is potatoes. That's true, they had a famine too. Yeah, not good. You, this is like, <laughs> is this episode about scurvy? <laughs> <laughs> no, as I was alluding to, this is about the United States interstate system. All right, I'm, I'm, I love the thought of the United States interstate system as an episode. I... I know, like, the only thing I know about it is that, mm-hmm. and I, it's, I'm hopefully not ruining anything here, was just, like, looked at the Autobahn and the way that Germans could move things with military and was like, we need one of those. But that's all I know. That's it. Yeah, that's we'll, the, we'll get into I it. I think that's the majority of what most people know is that it's like... You did name drop a little bit that I was going to get to later. That's okay. Okay. I'll bleep Spoiler. it out. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> okay, I can put a bleep go. if you want. Ooh, that'll add to the suspense. Okay. okay. So, in the summer... Of, I didn't start with a any sort of do an American accent. Jake do an American accent for this one. <laughs> In the summer of 1919, just months after the end of World War One, an expedition of 81 Army vehicles set out from Washington D.C. for a trip across the country to San Francisco. But this was hardly a simple road trip. It was 1919. The convoy's purpose was actually to road test various new army vehicles and to see how easy or difficult it would be to move an entire army across the North American continent. Good grief. During the exercise... This is World War I? Just after World War I. It's 1919. So what what kind of things are we moving here? I think they're all like the giant like half tracks and just like... Just the big trucks. Just and massive steel trucks. I'm just imagining that they're after World War One. they're still pretty crappy trucks. I sent you a photo. Oh, you did? That okay. you can open while I Is continue. It text message it to It me? was a text message. It was a link to a photo, actually. Okay. Um, during the exercise, the convoy assumed wartime conditions. I liked this. So they assumed damage to railroads. They assumed there would be bridges out and tunnels collapsed. And they also maintained a strict policy of oh, self-sufficiency. God. That doesn't look fun at all. No. 
So as I mentioned, this was timely. I said they maintained a strict policy of self-sufficiency. So if one of their trucks broke down along the way or they got stuck, they couldn't just go to they Farmer call- Joe Blow and be like, hey, can you pull us out? They didn't call this, AAA. Right, or AAA. <laughs> Exactly. So this was a real exercise to figure out, you know, what it would take. So the convoy averaged a speed of six miles an hour. Wow. Amounting to 58 miles per day. And they did they complete this? They did complete it. And this is from where to where? From D.C. to San Francisco. Wow. So the trucks snaked their way from Washington up to Pennsylvania into Ohio and then due west across farmland and Midwest over the Rockies and into California. And if you want to look it up, the route is actually approximated by what is now modern U.S. Highway 30 kind of follows this. Um, The route certainly wasn't as smooth as modern day Highway 30 because the majority... And from what I can tell, they didn't have pneumatic tires on some of those vehicles either. No, it's all like steel and wood. So the majority of the distance, particularly west of the Mississippi, was all over poor dirt roads at best. They had like rutted wheel paths, desert sand, think of, and the mountain trails where it's basically just like cart paths. Yeah. Uh, Over the course of the journey, of course, they like recorded everything and took notes. It's a military operation. More than 230 road accidents were recorded. And And what constitutes uh, a road accident? I don't know. That's what they said. And keep in mind that these heavy trucks were, quote, driven mostly by inexperienced drivers and easily sank into quicksand or mud, ran off the road, or were overturned. Let's be honest. Who after World War I was an ex- could be an experienced driver? That's just it. Nobody everyone, was an experienced driver. Well, not only that, everyone died in World War I. <laughs> yeah, well that, so now you have these, like, everybody drove horses. kids who, yeah, have never there's been more, in a truck. More people that were experts at horses than cars. Right. So there's just, like, no, yeah, they didn't so have... so you can't really fault them, but you have, you know, people who haven't really Really driven these trucks going across these terrible conditions and got in a lot of accidents. Uh, other problems include bridges that were not re- not rated for weight of the vehicles. Wait, wait what? <laughs> <laughs> so how do you think they realized like, oh, this bridge isn't rated for our truck? They crashed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they just sent like their truck into know. the river. Yeah, I don't know. That just I I stopped at that when I read that. Well, I'm I was sure like, you could pull up to a bridge and go, "Well, this isn't going to work." Right. You know, but you it's could not look like, at it and be. I'm sure they didn't have a little plaque that said, "Hey, no, no single trailer over, you know, or a this single is probably axle why for we nine do. tons or whatever." It's yeah. probably why we have it now. Is exactly. These guys were like, "Well, we better mark these things." <laughs> yeah. Joey down the street, peasant built this, and not not going to work out. So the men also suffered from limited sleep. They're doing 58 miles a day in harsh conditions, lack of food. They did this in summer, I imagine. Shelter, yeah. Uh, uh, And they didn't have any bathing facilities. I'm sure they smelled good. And even the lack of drinking water at times. Speaking of smelling good, what do you think? You're like still fragrant over here. I think I'm used to it. I'm acclimated. But Chris is wearing some new deodorant. And he just (laughs) smells like he bathed in cologne. Unlike these men right after World War II. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, and this, I think, goes back to their policy of self-sufficiency. So they wanted to make it seem accurate as if they were, like, an army in a war trying to move these across the continent. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it does, but it sucked for these guys. So, in all, the trip took 62 days and covered 3,251 miles. Wow. Definitely no no straight shot there. Yeah, I think the, the record is, from coast to coast, was set by Alex Roy who was a journalist, and he had a, 
And he did it in a BMW M5. The M5, I remember that. 32 hours and 38 minutes, I Jesus. think. And that that's that was his record. And that was him and his buddy drove it. And uh, his buddy actually drove over 100 miles an hour very, very, very frequently. Yeah. yeah. Well, you figure out the average speed there and you you basically can equate to, do, to I think it's did. like 93 miles per hour is what it's you need to average. average. That's your average. Basically, he did it a few times or he tried to do it a few times. Yeah. And he would get to like Ohio and get pulled over or mm. get stuck in traffic and be like, well, that's it. And yeah. You just turn around and go home because wow. you need to like do it like consistency consistently the entire way. So 65 days, 62 days or yeah. the record now is 32 hours. That's crazy. Just think of the contrast there. They had, they had night vision on their cars yeah. on this. M5. I remember this and they had thermal, like, they had thermal cameras. Seriously. They had thermal cameras and then they had police they had scanners, like every scanner, every radar detector. Yeah. I remember that. It was pretty awesome. We don't, I, I wouldn't even want to do that. No, that the pressure to do it would be. He did it in a three wheel Morgan like like a year ago or something like that too. Just like really? well, I'm going to do it in, in like winter because the thing is air cooled. So we wanted. To, so it, there's the whole article is about his co pilot that his co driver wrote it and he's like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Kill me. <laughs> but still not anywhere near as hard. Probably not as hard as what these guys so, went through. Let's see how many trucks. Eighty one army vehicles. So I'm imagining these guys have. You know, nowadays when you think about winter or or right. tough, we have like we have good clothes, good shoes, good food. Um, we have uh, like air conditioners. We have, um, well, I don't have an air conditioner for my right. drive, but they had. We have coolers that keep food at right. regulated temperatures. We have heated seats. We have all these things. These dudes are literally suffering the entire time. So I didn't when I first kind of read this. I didn't really realize how big of an operation this was. So eighty one trucks is a decent amount, but the sheer manpower they had for this. So they had 24 army officers, okay? 258 enlisted men. To move how many trucks? 81. Wow, why? I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's only like, what, three guys per truck? I guess. So that actually isn't that many, but that seemed like a ton of people, and I suppose it is just because there's so many of these trucks and tanks and everything else. Well, they probably had some mechanics, and they had officers, and then they had yep. a guy to, well, I'm tired. Let's switch. And Right. So one of these men was a young lieutenant, lieutenant colonel. He went along as a tank corp observer and, quote, partly for a large... You, you know that it's core, not corp. I, I first read it corpse, and then I said core. Tank core. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Did I not? No. <laughs> oh, I I, connect, I correctly pronounced uh, Colonel instead of Colonel. Well, uh, reading it, that. But yeah, Tank Corps Observer. Uh, anyways, he was quoted later as saying, I, I went along partly for a lark and partly to learn. <laughs> for a lark. I love so it. this guy just didn't give a shit. Um, quote, we were not sure it could be accomplished at all. Nothing of the sort had ever been attempted. The convoy made a lasting impression on the young officer and stoked in him an interest in good roads. You're not going to tell me his name, That are would you? last for decades. Okay. Not You're yet. not going to tell me. Not yet. Uh, over 20 years later, during World War II, that very same man was still thinking about good roads as he served as the Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, where he oversaw the invasion of Western Europe. It was here in Germany where he fought the Nazis. And to their credit, the ability to quickly maneuver troops and equipment across the country left a lasting impression on the commander. And it was all due to the Autobahn. The official German term is Bundesautobahn, which literally translates to Federal Auto Track. 
And the idea for the construction of the Autobahn was first conceived in the mid-1920s during the days of the Weimar Republic, which the Weimar Republic had heard it before. It, it's basically just the official historical designation for the German state during the period of 1919 to 1933, a.k.a. before the Nazi regime. Right, before they stabbed everybody. Yes. Uh, but the construction was slow, and most projected selections didn't even progress much beyond planning. Uh, Here's my question. I always hear that the Autobahn is like, yeah, man, it's super dope. It's like 24 inches thick concrete. Is it really like that everywhere, do you think? Well, what I would say people don't realize is our freeway system is also like 24 inches thick of concrete. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's just how you but build everybody's like really good to, roads. They're trying to be like, yeah, like the Germans, their roads are like way better. I mean, the concrete's really thick, and they, you can drive way faster on them. <laughs> I really like your... And or, or it's there. like, yeah, the German police, they don't ever have undercover cars like like our stupid cops in America do. Yeah, our cops are stupid. American cops they're, or German cops, they're pretty cool. You drive as fast as you want on their freeway. I just, I'm so tired of that. You know, just yeah. like the comparison, like just, just because it's German and just because it's the Autobahn, it's the best thing in the world. And it you could drive a million miles an hour on it and never die. It's so just, it's the Porsche file here, too. Yeah, I just it, it irritates me. I'm I know. I like Hyperbole. It. Yes. Yes, a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, what did I say, first conceived in the 20s uh, by the Weimar Republic, but the construction was slow, and most sections didn't even progress beyond planning, mostly due to the economic state of Germany at the time. So It was bad. You know your history. Germany was in shambles during that period, which contributed, of course, to the rising of Hitler to power, which he did. And in 1933, just days after Nazis seized power, Adolf Hitler enthusiastically embraced the ambitious Autobahn construction project. By 1936, three years later, 130,000 workers were directly employed to construct it, as well as an additional 270,000 men working to supply equipment, materials, and everything else for this program. Uh, contrary to popular belief, though, the Autobahn was not primarily intended for use of the military. Right, everyone's like, "Well, it was a big military project for their." Uh, I'm trying to do your your same bro. Accent. Well, it's like for the military, man. You got to be able to move <laughs> the troops around. <laughs> that is really good. I'm like haunted by that impression right now. Okay, uh, all major military transports in Germany were actually done by train to save fuel. It's much more efficient. Uh, instead, the propaganda propaganda ministry turned the construction of the Autobahn into a major media event that attracted international attention, touting German supremacy. Well, that's what it was all about. It was all about the propaganda. It's all, it was about, all about getting the entire country to just think that the, everything they were doing was meaningful and, and exactly. it was the best in the world. Well, it was, a, it was basically like brainwashed elitism. Right. Well, and you talk about, I mean, he did, he, or the Nazis, did obviously employ and make economic growth through this program to employ that many people. I don't know how successful it was as far as the economy went. It's It was kind of more of like circle jerk economy, right? I mean, they didn't really, <laughs> they weren't really growing wealth. True. They were just, they, they, were just had, they had the, the Reichmark or whatever it was. Yeah. And they were just like, kind of just printing, printing money, money and yeah. just like Inflation. paying people. And they, during, as the war went on, the economy was not doing well. Right. I mean, right. It's, it was collapsing on itself because you can't do that forever. No, that's why we have the federal reserve that sets interest rates to avoid inflation. 
Yeah, let's not. Okay. Let's, oh, oops, oops, oops. Put the, put the worms back <laughs> in the can. Okay. Um, so this whole German superiority that the uh, propaganda ministry was trying to push about the Autobahn was actually the true purpose of it. And it was, to be fair, an impressive feat. The Autobahn formed the first limited access high-speed road network in the world with the first now section. Let, the high speed is, let's dial that down a little bit. What speeds are we actually going in nineteen thirty? This is so perfect. Okay, I'm loving that because you're saying high speed. I'm like thinking of a a twelve horsepower Beetle. So great. This like I could not have set this up better. Um, It was the first the the first stretch sec the first section stretched from Frankfurt to Darmstadt. Uh, where's Darmstadt? Opened in 1935. Do we know where Darmstadt is? That must be southeast somewhere. I don't know where it is. Okay, not a big deal. This straight section was first used for high-speed record attempts by the Grand Prix racing teams of Mercedes-Benz and Auto Union. In fact, the world record of 432 kilometers per hour, 268 miles per hour, was set by Rudolf Karkoriela on this stretch and remains one of the highest speeds ever achieved on a public motorway. Imagine the balls it takes. 268 miles an hour, Chris. What car is this? Um... I don't know. Look up Rudolph. Hold on, I got it. I want to know. I got to. I got to know about this car. Um, we'll take a little breakthrough. We'll take an Alfermato, an Ausfart, and uh, Mercedes and take a speed record. It's the W125 record wagon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Mercedes. It's a Mercedes. Okay, so it's probably like a V12 or something. I really would like to know. Um. Maybe I should be looking this well, up. Well, I can you. look this up. On 20th of January, Carriola and the Mercedes-Benz record team appeared at that part between Frankfurt and Durmstadt in an attempt to break numerous speed records set by the auto union team. Um, they were set on engine capacity, a W125. Yeah, there it is. I got the wiki for it right here. Um, the W125 record wagon, wagon <laughs> was an experimental high-speed automobile roost in the 30s, late 30s. Roost? Stream- the, the streamlined car was derived from a 1937 open wheel race car. Mm-hmm. Main difference was which is it had to appear to a certain limit was the engine. Well, the GP car had an eight cylinder in line, which was rather tall. The record car was fitted with a V12, which okay, was lower sure. and reduced drag. So let's see what it had for power. Oh my god! <laughs> well, to oh get my to god, 268 okay, miles so per hour. Okay, so this thing um, power displacement. So it had. It was a dual overhead cam, four valve per cylinder, wow. 60 degree V12 That's with tech. twin roots superchargers. <laughs> it was a uh, 5,500 cc engine. Uh, V12 had 725 ho- horsepower at 5,800 RPMs. Wow. So it's a five liter V12 with twin superchargers. Five and a half liter V12, twin supercharged, 725 horsepower, four, four speed. cam. Four valves. Yeah, power to weight ratio is 612 horsepower per ton. It's 130 wow. horsepower per liter. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually really good. That's extremely if you impressive. Think of like even what by B- today's standards. Like BMW loves saying they've got a, like what 100 horsepower per liter or yep. something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's like, kind of the benchmark for naturally aspirated cars. That's like that's pretty good. This that's really impressive for 19 whatever 38. Yeah, that is 35. Yeah, that was really cool. Blah blah blah. Rattled by the brutal, the people were rattled by the brutal boom of the side spewing exhaust stacks as the silver car hurled past. By nine that morning, team chief, blah, 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 Alfred Newbar were having a celebration breakfast at the Park Hotel in Frankfurt. Wow. 
Sadly, the driver was killed later the same day while trying to beat that record for Auto Union. So this guy drove both cars? <laughs> Are you kidding me? This wow. also put an end to the record attempts of Mercedes, even though Hans Stuck later wanted to beat the overall land speed record with the Porsche-designed Mercedes-Benz D80, which was powered by 3,000-horsepower airplane engine. <laughs> um, so this record stood until... Do you have this in your thing? Am I no, kidding? I don't. Go ahead. Okay, so this record stood until November 5th, 2017, it was broken by the Koenigsegg Aguera, uh, and they recorded 276.9 on a closed highway in Nevada. Wow. Wow. Incredible. That's impressive, incredible. right? Really incredible. 700 horsepower in 1938? Are you serious? Yes. And this dude died the same day because he Cause went to Auto race. Auto Union then wanted the same record. That's oh nuts. My. Incredible. Incredible. Maybe we'll have to look into that story a little bit. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I just I thought it was a cool aside for the Autobahn. Yeah. And bringing it back to that, so that was this first kind of, what was a 10-kilometer stretch or something between Frankfurt and Darmstadt? Six miles. Six miles, okay. There was uh, another similar 10-kilometer stretch of what is today Bundesstadtobahn 9, oh, so Autobahn 9, whatever, a section that had bridges designed with no center piers meant specifically for land speed record cars. That's amazing. Yeah, so they designed this section just for this. And this was only to be like, yeah, we're good. You suck. Right. Yeah, that's I, why it was built. I love that. <laughs> other, I, other than murdering millions of people? You're no different than your German surfer bro right now. What? No. Yeah, man. Like, we're well, just, it's yeah, so Yeah, but we're better. like the best. But here's the deal is their architecture was amazing. It was this megalomaniacal. I was going to say, yeah, it, it was I oppressive. Mean, it was, yes, it was oppressive and it was used to oppress the people, but it was just so over the top and looming and it was just... In a, in, a, in, a, in a purely, I'm over here, you're over there, this already happened, I'm there, the stuff they designed and right. built was was amazing because they just didn't give a shit. They were just going to do it. They we're doing this. And it was like, it was kind of like when you take one guy's vision mm-hmm. and you're able to do everything that one person wants to do. Singular the, vision. The sure. singular vision will never Obviously, I I don't want to like try and trivialize what happened. Obviously, with everything bad that happened, you mean the Holocaust? The Holocaust. Yeah, this isn't a a, that type of podcast. But the singular vision that like Hitler and everybody had, all his little foot soldiers had enacted, other than the, the Holocaust. That's a big thing to say. Other than, I still think everything they did would have been possible without murdering millions of Jews. Okay. Okay. So you can say that. What they did with like, how about we just say like their, their engineering was impressive? Their engineering their was, but it was more than that. I, know, I mean, design. It, so it was their architecture and their. I just don't want you to come across as like a Nazi sympathizer. Right I'm now. not a Nazi sympathizer. It was horrible. Right. I know. But what they did with like the Olympics and the competitiveness that they had and everything else. You know what's great about the Olympic story though? So Hitler in his craziness was trying to promote the Aryan race, right? Right. So there's the story Jesse of... Jesse Owens. Yes, the black American, right? Who just comes in and just smokes everyone. It was it's awesome. Like, How's that for your superior race, yeah, bitch? Yeah, just kicked their ass. Didn't, yes. re- didn't really know that their blood cells are and muscles are way better than ours. <laughs> yeah, In general, he, they didn't really know. You think they would have known that with all the crazy, oh, crazy scientific just, shit yeah, that they, okay. they did. Anyways, um, during World War II... The median strips of some autobahns were actually paved over to allow their conversion into auxiliary airstrips. So this was interesting. Aircraft were either stashed in numerous tunnels or camouflaged in nearby woods. However, for the most part during the war, again, the autobahn actually really wasn't used as a military like uh, 
transportation network. Motor vehicles such as trucks could not carry goods or troop as quickly or in as much bulk and uh, in the same number that trains could, whereas the Autobahns could not be used by tanks as well because their caterpillar tracks would just destroy the road surface. Right, the concrete so would just get eaten. it really, again, wasn't for military purpose. It was just kind of that that what would you call it? The propaganda. The propaganda. The propaganda effect. train, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Back to the U.S. More Americans owned automobiles, and local U.S. highways were getting more congested. There had been talks of an interstate national-wide freeway system as early as the 30s, but nothing really had come of it. Uh, the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1944 was the first kind of act, and that authorized a limited 40,000-mile national system of interstate highways. And this was to be selected by the state highway departments to connect major metro areas. And again, this was in the interest of national defense over here in the U.S. Is that, do you think that they were just like, yeah, we really just need this? Like, no, this was, really- this was in 44 before we necessarily saw what the Autobahn was. So this wasn't in comparison... It was just I saying think in 44, we knew I what the know, Autobahn right. was. Okay, fine. But I'm getting to that later in the story, so that's why I'm saying no, not yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm making up facts. Um, so at this time, what roads do we have generally? So we have highways, but we don't have main interstate systems that are so all connected are these like- with limited intersections. That's the big distinction, actually. Okay. There's no intersections on a freeway. Right. So uh, construction of this system so that they just proposed have like in 44. Yeah, it's all just two-lane roads. Right. Um, the, the system was slow, or the construction of the system was slow. Oh, I skipped over a part. So this act in 44 didn't go anywhere because they didn't have any provision for funds. What was it called again? This was the Federal, Hi- Federal Aid Highway Act of 44. And so it, Congress didn't fund it. There was no funding, so nothing really happened. Uh, and then in 1950, the Korean War broke out and distracted polyamc makers. We didn't really focus on our interstate system. Uh, But then in 1952, it also brought a presidential election, which brought into office the same man who took part in that first cross-country expedition of 1919 and later fought the Nazi regime with their Autobahn. This is, as Chris didn't spoil, because we bleeped it out, that's right, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And his top priority among uh, upon becoming president was to secure legislation for an interstate highway system. What was his rank in the in World War II? Was he a general? He was a general, right. Yep. So according to Eisenhower, Eisenhower... It's not Eis- Eisenhower. I know, I said Zer. I thought you were going to say... I thought you were going to say Eisenhower. <laughs> I was going to for some reason. I was thinking of howitzer tank or something. Uh, according to Eisenhower, um, <laughs> <laughs> just call him Dwight. I was going to say, according, according to Dwight, uh, <laughs> a more comprehensive interstate network of highway was needed to reduce the number of highway deaths and injuries, cut down on delays because of detours and traffic jams, reduce the amount of highway-related litigation, which I like. Why should each state have to litigate their own stuff? And allow more efficient truck transportation of goods. And, he added, the system was needed to address the, quote, appalling inadequacies to meet the demand of catastrophe or defense should the atomic war come. Yeah, yeah, that was a big concern. Yes, it was in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, He persuaded Congress then to enact the Federal Highway Act of 1956, creating what is now known as the Interstate Highway System. Quote, the old convoy had started me thinking about the good two-lane highways, but Germany had made me see the wisdom of a broader ribbon across the land. 
It's true. So it was those two big impacts that made him so focused on this. Well, I imagine that doing that 62-day thing and suffering <laughs> will, will leave a, quite That'll a mark. leave an impact, right? He's, he's like, yeah, I want to go on this on a lark and came out as like a like just yeah. he'd been followed by a vulture the whole time. Exactly. I mean, he just probably suffered a lot more than he thought he had to. True. Uh, Congress provided revenue from the federal gasoline tax to provide 90%. Was there a gas before? No. Gas tax before this? No. Not okay. that I saw. Congress provided revenue from the, maybe it was a state, but not federal. Federal gasoline tax provide 90% of the cost of the const, the construction of the interstate. With was the there a resistance to this by anybody? 10%. Yes, there was. I'll get to that in here in a little bit. Uh, let me get into how it was funded and the, the, the details. Uh, each state transportation department managed its own program for location, design, right-of-way, acquisition and construction the states were also responsible for the ownership and maintenance of the system which in 1981 they also began to receive federal funds for maintaining this um i want to answer your question rather than getting to that when the interstate highway act was first passed most americans were like 100 percent behind it supported it this is really cool this is something we can all get behind however as it started construction, not all were for the project. The project displaced people from their homes as they had to acquire all this land. It sliced communities directly in half as you're putting a giant ribbon of asphalt down. And it led to abandonment and decay in city after city as main highways that were once the main thoroughfare were getting replaced by this freeway system. So did this help or hinder the Great American Road Trip, do you think? Hindered. Well, in a way. I'm going to keep really? going. I don't know. No. I think this is something we can... Discuss for a second. Okay. So, do you think it's better to be able to travel easier to where you're wanting to go and have a road trip experience? Like for us to drive to, let's say you want to take your bride to the Grand Canyon, you can hop on the interstate and get there. You're right. That is a good thing. But you're also passing by one of my favorite things when I do road trips is these little towns. And you go through and you look and you're like, wow, this place is great. And like wood chippers. Yes, like wood chippers. But here's the thing is you go, wow, this this place is great. It hasn't been updated. And when does the freeway system start? Yeah, you there know, you go. Because it, it basically froze these neighborhoods in these towns. Exactly. And, they, and it basically killed them. So you, yeah, it's interesting because people kind of began to fight back. There was these little pockets of like resistance protesters. Uh, the first victory for the, quote, anti-road forces Ooh. took place in what city, Chris? Oh, God, Baltimore? Mm. I have no San Francisco. Okay, yeah, sure. In 1959, the Board of Supervisors stopped the construction of the double-decker Empagardo Freeway along the waterfront. Uh, during the 60s, activists in New York, Baltimore, Washington, New Orleans, Is and other cities. Is this the freeway cities, that co- collapsed during the earthquake? Oh, I don't know. That double-decker freeway where it just went sandwiched a bunch of people? Probably. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, that that happened in the 90s, I think. They, was, they had a double-decker freeway in, the, yeah. in Oakland. And the freeway went and just crushed tons of cars. Not good. Not that, great. That is not good. Um, so anyways, they had all of these um, activists in these cities that managed to actually prevent road builders from tearing apart their neighborhoods. And as a result, numerous urban interstates now end abruptly, giving them the moniker, the roads to nowhere. The roads to nowhere. That still exists? Yes. There are. I mean, it's not like they just stop, but I think where a freeway was meant to go straight through a city... There's it just like, off ramps and on ramps right yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm imagining that the denser the population gets, the harder the eminent domain is. Right. Like if you're going through some farmer's field, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to give you like four million dollars for this land, versus going through downtown San Francisco where you're like, yeah, yeah gonna I'm going to need to more. give like 
more difficult, more difficult, more money, more people, more this, more that. Yeah, I can see where that would be harder. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was interesting. There were like a big list of technical standards that the highways needed to maintain. So it was highly regulated. Lanes had to be 12 feet wide and shoulders 10 feet wide. Bridges had to have 14 feet of clearance. Grades had to be less than 30% at any given area. And the highway had to be designed to travel at 70 miles an hour for your average semi. Um, airstrips. According to some sources, early regulations required that one out of every five miles of the interstate highway system must be built straight and flat so as to be usable by aircraft during times of war. I've However, heard that. Is that true? This was never included in any interstate legislation. So it's false. It's not really a rule. Either they didn't put it in the law, but someone told them to do it, or it's just an urban legend. Yeah, okay. Well, there's got to be some way to verify that. It, it basically is telling me it's an urban legend. Okay. I want to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I would think looking at most of the freeway I drive on, you could probably figure out a way to land Oh, yeah. It. I think like, you could. Especially if there's a Tesla Model X driving. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's a reference to our earlier episode. Um, the completion of the entire system cost $129 billion. And Jesus. of course, it was a co-op between the federal between the federal government and states at a 90-10 ratio. I wonder what the return on investment there is, though. Got to be insane. The amount of trucking oh, and, and products that are moved. I mean, tr the trains, the rail system is, was completely defunct yep. after this. And trucking took over and just... yeah. So Huge boon to our economy. What's interesting, during the decades of its construction, the interstate highway system was the largest public works project in American history, pumping billions into the nation's economy over the country. The national Here's freeway system... Is, is there a public works system in the world that has ever been as big as the interstate system here? Think about it. I can't imagine there is. I can't think of anything. No. Well, here's another interesting, talking about the economy, the national freeway system still has an economic impact today due to the continued maintenance and repairs needed in the roadway and the federal funding that funds it. Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. No. Okay. <laughs> politics. So that's kind of the, the story behind it. But I had in my reading a bunch of like really interesting facts that didn't fit in the story sure. that I wanted to go over. So numbering. So within the continental U.S., primary interstates, also called mainline interstates or two-digit interstates, are assigned numbers less than 100. Do you know any of this? Some of this stuff I okay. do, like even numbers and yep. odd numbers. So odd numbers run north-south with numbers increasing from west to east, yep. while even numbers run east to west with numbers increasing from south to north. And then auxiliary in interstate highways are circumvential radial or spur highways that principally serve urban areas. So these types of interstate highways are then given three-digit route numbers, which consist of a single-digit prefix to then the two-digit number of its parent interstate highway everybody's eyes just glazed over. i know think but basically what it is is ever north south east west and then the and then the bypasses around the city all yeah. have their own nomenclature so you can tell what they are i found that fascinating i didn't know that yeah it's yes okay i knew that jake well i didn't i don't <laughs> think everyone else did no i, I would not I would everyone is it. as smart as you chris Thanks, no i jake. just like here in the twin and cities on that note, thanks yeah. for listening to the podcast here in the twin cities we have the main like interstate 94 that goes through and then we have 694 394 and 494 around it and of course that'll make sense because a three digit with a number prefix in front of 94 yep didn't realize that uh another fun fact the interstate highway system also extends to alaska hawaii and puerto rico even though they have no direct land connections to any other state or territory however the residents still pay federal fuel and tire taxes to support it 
that's awesome. Good for them. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Uh, next fun fact. Interstate highways are a part of the strategic highway network, a system of roads identified as critical to the U.S. Department of Defense for, bit more, for mobility of military troops. So, uh, Which ones are those? Basically, the entire interstate system is considered oh, okay. part of the U.S. DOD. I thought there was DOD. more that were like really special. Um, not that they tell us. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact, in emergency situations, maximizing traffic throughput on a highway is done by reversing the flow of traffic on one side of the divider so that all lanes become outbound lanes. This procedure, known as contraflow lane reversal, has been employed several times for hurricane evacuation. Yeah, I've seen that, and it's still bumper to bumper. Yeah. Everybody trying to leave at once on but one that, road. That'd be crazy to be driving on both side of the freeway well you see like the, anytime like watching the walking dead or something like that <laughs> all it is is like just <laughs> cars, cars just yeah. piled all the way out of the city just everybody trying to leave speed limits more fun facts speed limits are determined by individual states from 1974 to 1986 of course the maximum speed limit on any highway in the u.s was double nickel 55 miles per hour. I can't drive 55. <laughs> That's where the song came from. This was in accordance with a federal law. Wasn't this Ralph Nader? I'm sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think it was. I don't understand. What was with 55? I mean, there was some test done that said, like, that's a speed at which you can still survive a crash. And it's economical. Exactly. A lot of it had to do with that most efficient cruising speed. Thank God that's over with. No kidding. That I think, what is it? 86 uh, is when that was redacted. In what is it in the Montana? It's 80. Yeah. Currently, rural speed limits range from 65 to 80 miles per hour, which for our, uh, our metric fans is 105 to 130 kilometers an hour. Uh, in some areas, speed limits are in, on interstates can be significantly lower in areas where they traverse hazardous areas. Okay. I didn't mean to get into that yet. So 65 to 80 miles per hour. Um, it used to be that there was no speed limit on some stretches out in like Nevada. It was what's called reasonable and prudent. Yes. And so you would get, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. A long time ago. You would get so. uh, a ticket instead of a speeding ticket if someone wanted to stop you for uh, wasting natural resources. It's yeah. actually the ticket you would get. Right. And it, I had a friend who had a story about that, which I thought was <laughs> awesome. Well, it's, it's, I, it's gone. That's gone. Now. It is gone. That was Montana. Okay, and uh, I think maybe portions of North Dakota and South Dakota had okay. some similar things, but I think it was mainly Montana. But it's that's over with. Somebody ruined it for somebody. That's right. It was something about mm -hmm. that. We talked about there was a news article where some guy was yeah. doing something, and I don't know. You're right, and they ruined it for everyone. That was yeah. one of our very early episodes. Uh, so yeah, uh, the interstate speed limit can be significantly lower in areas where they traverse hazardous areas. In fact, speed limits are the result. Of lawsuits and resident demands in some parts of the well, yeah, it's, country. It's, it's about noise, right? So you, the lower speed is lower noise. So you drive through Minneapolis, St. Paul, there's 30... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> After holding up the completion of I-35E in St. Paul, Minnesota, exactly for nearly 30 years... Residents along the stretch of the freeway from the southern city limit to downtown successfully lobbied for a 45-mile-per-hour speed limit in addition to a prohibition on any vehicle weighing more than 9,000 pounds. This is the lowest speed limit on an interstate in the country. It's just a bunch of... only Cumberland, Maryland with a 40-mile-per-hour limit because of a big swerve they have. This is... It's a bunch of, like, eat my cake... 
I didn't I jerk off. I didn't realize it was. It's right next to like Grand. And I know. It's, it's I drive a bunch it of rich pretty jerk frequently. Offs. Yeah, it's, it's not even that rich of a spot. Yeah, it's pretty pretty ritzy, especially as you get towards St. Paul, like Summit yeah. and Grand, and everything's right. right there. I had no idea that that was one of the lowest, and I never even thought of that as an interstate. But that's Interstate 35 right there. Yep, bunch of cake eaters. I tell you. So now you know your history <laughs> on the interstate and how it came to be. Thanks, Jake. That was great. I, will, I got uh, nothing else to say. No, that's good. I I, I enjoyed that one a lot. I was, no I was, puns. Like that was that was that was. I, I don't know. I can't think of anything. You really uh, you really told my heart. No. Nope. Something. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.